Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Be Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I am Jim. And we want to welcome you back to the proceedings here. And uh, we got kind of a couple things we want to talk about today. Uh, not necessarily topic-wise, but shit that's on the horizon, stuff to look forward to. Uh, Absolutely. Jim and I are planning on doing our first live Facebook podcast, streaming podcast, video podcast, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that should be exciting. Uh, you, you get to see the, the, the faces behind the dulcet tones, as it were, and uh, we're kind of looking you know, forward I mean, to doing that. Well, I mean, that that's the one part I'm not looking forward to, mostly because I have a, a face for radio. There's a reason why podcasting, I've been very glad <laughs> that it's an audio-only medium. I mean, nah. we do this on Zoom, so you have to sit there and look at me. But um, <laughs> so far, the, the folks that are listening have not had to be subjected to uh, to my big hairy face. Eh, that's okay. They got I got my big hairy face, too. So it's a couple of big hairy faces and a bunch of assorted random nerdery and we kind of want to handle it like uh like kind of a ask me anything uh kind of issue you know you guys can bring whatever topics you want to bring to the show uh we're definitely looking for audience participation in this regard uh we want to let you guys kind of dictate the uh the uh, the way the show will go uh inv- get involved and be part of it and so we're really super excited to have the opportunity to try doing something new Absolutely, yeah. Rants, raves, hugs, heckles, whatever you got. Uh, you know, pie if it's, recipes. Uh, uh, pie recipes, yeah. But you know, I mean, I, sometimes I listen back to this when uh, it, it's a little self-indulgent, but it's sort of like watching the game film so that I can improve. <laughs> and I've been listening to the last few of these, thinking, you know, there's definitely things that I uh, I annoy myself when I do them. So uh any any kind of criticism or feedback as as you know it doesn't have to be constru- constructive criticism is the best kind of criticism but if you want to say <laughs> hey asshole cut that shit out then you know that's also going to be listened to so whatever you got to say um you know yeah. rants raves um praise criticism uh if topic suggestions questions whatever you got uh, yeah. This was never intended to be a one-way conduit of communication. So we want to hear what you have to say, and we can't hear what you don't say. So jump on and let us know what's on your mind. Absolutely. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be doing this on uh, Saturday, June 12th at uh, noon Pacific Standard Time. So if you're like Jim, you're off in Central Time. That's going to be around 2 o'clock. But, uh, yeah, we're going to jump on Facebook Live. I've been learning how to do this, so... We should be able to do it without too many hitches, and yeah, just get on and, and talk to you, the people, and, and see what y'all have to say. And The technology get... involved is ever-evolving, but it should suit our purposes just fine. I agree. So that's something to look forward to. As always, if you want to find us on any of the social medias, you can hit us up on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash fandom. You can also hit us up in our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. And if you have a show idea, uh, would like to be a guest on the show, or know somebody who would like to be a guest on the show, you can hit us up at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us on any of the podcast platforms that you would like. Uh, the primary webpage is at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com, but we're also on Google Podcasts, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Stitcher, we're on Player FM, we're on Spotify, we're on all the places where you get fine podcasts, and uh, wherever you listen to us, we're happy that you do, and we're uh, we're grateful that you, you're joining us. Absolutely. So, uh, one of the things that me and Jim have been discussing is 
Uh, we do a lot of topic-driven uh, podcasts on on the Feel Your Friend and Podcast because we like to talk about, you know, those deep conversations that you have at a Denny's at 3 in the morning after a rousing D&D session or uh, whatever you have. it. Uh, we, we like to have these deep conversations, these deep dives into topics, but one of the things that we seem to be uh, kind of missing out on, and I kind of tried to touch on it a little bit previous was little news segments, and I tried to do a thing. We did the, the half tank for a few uh, shots, but it didn't really uh, pan out as something viable because news keeps popping up, and it's generated by the fact that when I went to search out geek news articles just for this week, uh, I was just inundated with them. I've got a list like a mile and a half long. And you can chalk that up to a lot of different things. Yeah. I, I really think that it, it's because, um, you know, I don't want to be naive, and I certainly don't want to pretend that things are the way they are not. But this week, the CDC did say that any American who is fully vaccinated can somewhat resume public life to a degree. You can go out, you can be maskless as, as long as you are vaccinated, and you can do things with other people who are also vaccinated. So it almost seems to me, and I've seen this just in the last week, maybe two weeks, there's been... A real upswing in the number of people that are out doing things. Mm-hmm. If I uh, sort of venture out from my uh, my quarantine cave and go to check out what's happening in the real world, out in Meat Space, uh, there's a lot of people out and about. A lot of them are maskless. A lot of them are um, sort of just, and, you know, ordinarily I would be irritated by that. But um, you know, the fact that uh, the CDC guidelines are what they are, and the fact that so many people are vaccinated, there's there's sort of been a, a resumption of normal activity. And I think you can extrapolate from that and sort of apply it to the entertainment sphere at large. There have been a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows, and a lot of other entertainment media that's been still in production and doing things, right? even through COVID, because uh, obviously uh, people are hanging out in their houses. We need to have entertainment. And most of the TV and movie production uh, entities that, that put out that entertainment have really sort of like had, had to find ways to shoot around that. But there's been... I think what we're seeing, in, in, like you said, in the huge uptick, the huge spike in entertainment news, in geek news, and nerd news, I think it's a microcosm of sort of everybody understanding that we can, to some degree, get back to some something that passes for normal. And that's sort of like... And also, the, the other side of that coin is um, that people are going to be getting out. They're going to need to have things to do. They're going to need to have entertainment. Movie theaters are opening back up again, so... I really think it's just sort of emblematic of the larger societal movement towards, hey, we're, we're tired of being cooped up, so we're, we're going to overcompensate with, with really piling it on right about now. Yeah, and absolutely. And so kind of one of the things that Jim and I had talked about doing is we're going to do like kind of a once-a-month thing where uh, we have an episode just talking about current updates with video game news and movie news and, and, and just like everything kind of uh, fandom-adjacent. Uh, in the news cycle, and just we're going to build up articles, and we'll talk about them all, and we'll just do a little, uh, little bitty uh, kind of mini rant about each and every one of them, kind of how we feel about each of those different little pieces, and uh, we'll go from there. And we, we, now, Jim, I'm going to let you talk about it. You came up with the name for it. What are we dubbing this segment? Welcome to the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. Nerd News Nexus, because we like alliteration. And so, yeah, so we're calling it the Nerd News Nexus, and it's just going to be kind of your one-stop. A lot of people don't have the time to fixate on uh, random news articles and 
dumb YouTube posts and things like but I do. But boy, how do you do we? And yeah, we got nothing but time. I, I, my job, I functionally sit and wait for train engineers and conductors to finish doing their work, and then I drive them where they need to be. Sometimes that's me driving them to a location and then sitting and waiting for like five hours, as it was the other day. So that's where I came up with a lot of these news articles that we're going to talk about today. So uh, it's I mean, really good for research purposes. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that's how we did the research for that KFC episode, too. So that was really kind of uh, a, a happenstance that just works out in our favor as far as having the time to do the research for these. So I'm we'll excited. S- we'll start off here uh, with uh, a couple and then we'll take a break. But the first one that I want to talk about is something that really uh, struck me and I'm, I'm super excited about. Uh, Kevin Smith has announced that he manned revelations is going to be coming to netflix in july july 23rd uh, and that's going to be the first five episodes of the 10 episode arc the first season and yeah, they're breaking uh, it up into two separate pieces mm-hmm. and he's released some of the uh, uh stills from it there's a trailer coming here pretty soon uh we haven't been privy to it he has and of course he's very uh, uh effusive about his praise but it's his own work you would hope he would be yeah, you got to stand behind what you do. <laughs> but so, I mean, I've been following kind of... I, I used to love Masters of the Universe, He-Man as a kid, uh, which is just great because it sold toys for Mattel, and that was just fantastic. But uh, this was back in the day when when cartoons for kids were nothing but uh, giant billboards to sell toys. Um, but... Uh, I, I loved Masters of the Universe. I had my fair share of the He-Man action figures. and Oh, man, so did I. Dozens of those old plastic bastards. Oh, yeah. And, and so uh, I took a look at uh, the pictures uh, that they released. I, I want to say they released like 10 pictures or so of the uh, of the new uh, series, Revelation. And, oh, my God, it looks so fucking good. Yeah, the and, animation style is a little different, clearly, than the old rotoscoped Hanna Barbera kind of stuff. But right, um, I, I don't. The, I should have. I had this in my head before, and now it's out of it. But the the animation house that's doing this is the same one that did the um, the uh, Castlevania uh, series mm. for Netflix. That makes sense. So yeah, the character designs are pretty similar to that. They're sort of like a a, um, a hybrid blend, a little bit visually at least, of sort of like anime and Western animation. Right. But um, the, the designs, the character designs are very similar, uh, at least, you know, sort of like visually and the costuming and, and, and that as, as the original 80s series. And Kevin Smith, in addition to presenting these uh, images, also in the post that went kind of viral in the Geekosphere, he did mention that the, the story more or less picks up where the 80s series left off. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know, it's not a reboot. It's not necessarily... A, uh, um, a reimagining of the characters. Or, yeah. yeah, we're not doing that. It's going to be set in the same universe, the same characters. The characters you know and love are going to show up. They're maybe going to look a little different, a little more uh, design is, is going to be a bit updated for, for the modern era. Quote-unquote realistic, less, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you, you can sort of just jump into this with both feet and not have to worry that you're going to be lost, especially if you enjoy the original series. If you guys can hear my cat in the background, I apologize. She's extraordinarily loud right now, so... My apologies. She's just an inadvertent guest on the show today. Uh, yeah, we, ma- have, we, have, we have a guest. We have a guest. A, a small feline furry guest. Major Kira Norris. Um, all right, so that's He-Man. I'm very excited about that. I've been looking forward to that. I think we're probably going to have, as of time of recording, we're probably going to have a trailer sometime within the next week, week and a half. 
Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, also, okay, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. The trailer dropped uh, just uh, a few days ago as of recording this. And uh, it's about as batshit insane as you would expect a, a, a sequel to that really crazy Venom movie to be. I, and yeah, Woody Harrelson. I mean, so it's gonna be... you know Woody Harrelson, who who's kind of been, I mean, not just obviously Tom Hardy reprising the role of Venom, but uh, Woody Harrelson, as promised in these sort of uh, post credits tag, um, uh, of the last Venom film, is is going to be showing up as Carnage. So now we've got two brutal, murderous, symbiotic characters sort of battling it out: the anti-hero and the very anti-anti-hero. Um, <laughs> but the other part that I thought was interesting about that is when the trailer dropped. Um, because, and we talked about this before, we talked about this even last week with, with the, um, or two weeks ago, with the Falcon and Winter Soldier Super Size Mega episode, that the MCU is making big moves on the small screen and the big screen integration, and there's just a lot of stuff going on, but the producers uh, of the very Sony-focused Venom and Carnage film have gone on record as saying that this film kind of happens in its own world. It doesn't really happen. It's not integrated with the MCU. And I think that was probably their way of saying, hey, I know you've probably heard a lot about what's been up with the the MCU and the TV series and this, the, all the rumors about the multiverse and the new Spider-Man movie, uh, about which the, the, uh, the appearance of several characters of the pre-MCU Spider-Man showing up is one of the worst-kept secrets in Hollywood. But the Venom folks Alfred have gone on yeah, and, and uh, Willem Dafoe was spotted on set, apparently. And, of course, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire have had to issue numerous denials that they're in the film, even though everyone knows they fucking are. Right. But the Venom people are like, yeah, this doesn't really happen in the MCU. doesn't even really happen in the Sony Spider-Verse. It's kind of its own thing, which is both interesting and uh, mildly disappointing. Not that I'm not going to see the movie. Not that it doesn't look like you said, fucking bananas. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that they have this very... Uh, easily identifiable as a Spider-Man villain character in this film, but they're saying that it's just kind of taken place in its own universe. I, I imagine that's probably sort of their way of saying, yeah, we tried to make this part of the MCU. We tried to negotiate this. We tried to kind of bring this in and maybe make some, some overtures or some hints to that or homages to that universe, but we couldn't quite nail the rights down and we couldn't really figure it out. Uh, which I'm hearing might actually also be happening with the Morbius movie with Jared Leto. We don't really know. Um, but there, there is sort of this this Sony-verse of MCU characters that even now, even with all the multiverse integration, sort of uh, um, exists apart from the MCU. It does until it doesn't, I think. And Yeah. At some I point, mean, they'll probably bring those things in and, and they'll just wave it off as multiverse stuff. But we don't know that yet. Yeah. I think they have a real big magic wand as far as... Uh, the ability to inter interact and interweave all of their different characters and universes and yeah. everything. Because, I mean, it's really just you, you You say, oh, okay, well, that's not... We're not going against canon. That's multiverse. Or yep. we're, we're not doing something that we said we weren't going to do. This is multiverse now. Yeah. So, like, they literally have the ultimate fan service tool that they can do whatever the hell they want with. And we're seeing that a lot in, like... Uh, uh, the Flash as well, the movie that they're filming for The Flash. Uh, they just released a lot of set photos, and this wasn't one of my pieces that I brought up, but it should be put in here anyway. Uh, they they uh, took some photos of The Flash filming over at the mansion that they used for Wayne Manor in the 1989 Batman movie. And so uh, we have already know that Michael Keaton's going to be back as Batman in The Flash movie. 
uh, that DC is doing right now. So that's multiverse. Now, is this, is this a Grant Gustin or an Ezra Miller Flash movie? Ezra Miller. Okay. So the big Justice League slash Zack Snyder cut Flash is getting his own movie still. And yeah, again, it's fan service material because you're able to use, oh, well, it's a multiverse, you know, and, and, and just call it good. And I think we get a lot, uh, a lot of that in our media now because they're able to use it as just kind of a catch-all way to incorporate anything that they want to bring into. Uh, and, and like I said, fan service things. I mean, people are like, oh, well, they need to have this. And it's like, well, we can have that if we multiverse. And, and we're sort of seeing that a lot also in even just tangential sort of things that are kind of almost quasi-happening. In the MCU, of course. Two weeks ago, we're probably we're going to get to this. It's also on the list, but the um, the we love the movies massive MCU trailer that got released about two maybe three weeks ago that was equal parts a retrospective of all of the MCU entertainment properties to date, but also was sort of where they announced that the Black Widow movie is coming out in July. They announced a. a title change uh, of Wakanda Forever for the next Black Panther movie. Mm -hmm. And they uh, had incorporated the the Shang-Chi and the Eternals stuff that we hadn't seen up until now. But they also ended, without announcing anything or having any actual footage or logo, but they did put up a very (laughs) obvious Fantastic Four logo over the very end of the trailer without naming it and calling it out. Because they were saying, oh, this is Marvel's Phase 4. But that's a very loaded four that they put It's a very blue, very italicized four inside of a circle, so they're not fucking fooling anybody. And we know that's coming. But in in, in sort of uh, relation to that, we have this week had a news story where Emily Blunt, because Emily Blunt and John Krasinski have long been sort of like rumored and wished for. Oh, it's been more than rumored. They changed the appearance of... They changed the appearance of Reed Richards in the comic books to closely more more closely emulate John Krasinski with a beard. They Which made they him also, look know, like him. Yeah, they did. And, and of course we all know how that works when they changed Nick Fury to look a whole lot like Sam Jackson, in the ultimate series. And then of course we get Sam Jackson's Nick Fury in the MCU because that was the deal. They paid him for his likeness rights on the contention that he would get to play Nick Fury once the movies rolled around. So yeah, that's been rumored and it's been uh, kicked around a lot, but Emily Blunt came out this week and said that that was just speculation. It was just fan casting. There's no truth to it. Uh, but me, you know, me thinks she time, doth protest too much. Right. We all know that uh, John Krasinski tested for Captain America and even got as far as a costume fitting before they cast Chris Evans. So he's kind of been hanging out on the uh, the periphery of the MCU for a while. But I mean, I, I kind of anything that anybody says about the MCU, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And that's why it's almost anything they do is very nearly spoiler proof. Because, I mean, if you look back on it now, Mark Ruffalo and uh, Tom Holland in particular are just fucking spoiler (laughs) machines. They just drop shit all the time. There's a very famous interview with Mark Ruffalo and Don Cheadle where Mark Ruffalo, well prior to to Infinity War, said, yeah, half of everybody dies. And Don Cheadle looks at him and goes, oh, come on, man. You can't, I can't believe, you know. And, of course, everybody laughed at it at the time. We didn't know he was dropping a legitimate spoiler. (laughs) And that's kind of the magic of the MCU because there is so much speculation, because there is so much stuff that you can and can't talk about. Any rumor has to be taken as both uh, a possible thing and also a big old fucking grain of salt. So you, you can't believe anything. Some things turn out to be true, some things don't, but that's kind of the magic of it. So we've got Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire saying, oh, no, we're not in the Spider-Man multiverse movie. And you got Emily Blunt saying, ah, it's really flattering that people are talking about, you know, my husband and I for Reed Richards and Sue Storm, but it's just fan casting. There's no truth to it. 
Uh, so anything is possible. We, we never know for sure what's going on over there until we actually see it unveil on the screen, or until, at least until we get an announcement about casting or production. I think it'd be a good fit, honestly, because I mean, yeah, I do too. They, they've had a real problem getting the Fantastic Four launched off the ground. They had uh, the the two movies that they came out with, like two thousand five, and I want to say two thousand eight. Uh, which I mean, which I weren't terrible. I but didn't they hate them. Great. Yeah, and that's where we no. got our first taste of Chris Evans in a superhero role like that. And uh, that's where we, we you know, his real versatility. I mean, you know, Johnny Storm is a cocky little shitbird, and he played uh, it to perfection. He, yeah, gets the job done in the clutch. But then, of course, uh, you know, Steve Rogers, as we've discussed, is a uh, a big blue Boy Scout, and he played both of those parts perfectly. And I wasn't mad at Ewan Griffith or um, Jessica Alba as as Reed and Sue. I did take a little bit of an issue with Michael Chiklis. Not that he's not a fine actor, that I don't love him, but the fact that they went with a practical thing in a, a Rocky costume instead of a CGI thing, I think was a mistake, just because Michael Chiklis is a little bit shorter than everybody else in the cast. I think he's about 5'9", <laughs> and he just looked kind of like a puny little thing, um, as Aww. opposed to, you know, the thing is supposed to be, you know, as, as large as the Hulk in some depictions. Aren't you so that a was cute a little, little bit thing? Off. Aren't you a cute little thing? So, uh, but then, of course, you look at the sort of like Miles Teller, Kate Mara version that came out with uh, Michael B. Jordan. I don't remember who played uh, Ben Grimm in that one because he was CGI for most of the thing. Yeah, um, I don't know. But that, I didn't even see that one. I really didn't. And then if you want to reach even further back, I think all of us who... I was uh, going to say, we have to talk time, about Roger Corman here. The Roger Corman, yeah, Fantastic Four, which actually was not as bad as people said it was. I actually did watch it. I saw. Boot, I had it on bootleg VHS back in the day. I couldn't hurt I think, it I think now. I still do. I think I had yeah. it somewhere. And even though it was dark, and even though it was uh, the lighting was bad, and it was made essentially to... to uh, retain because the Because the contract was running out to retain yeah. the rights, yeah. It still was... Um, it wasn't terrible. The, the, the Mr. Fantastic stretch effects were kind of laughable. And I don't know why they, they chose to really skimp on those, because if I remember right, uh, the thing actually looked... The really thing costume was grim. really great. Yeah, it was, the, I think, arguably the best one so far because it was a combination of practical and, and an animatronic uh, sort of face. And the Human Torch effects were really fantastic, especially for the time. So we've had three different passes of the Fantastic Four in the last 25, 30 years, and we're getting another one. But this is the first one that Marvel is actually doing themselves. So we'll finally get a chance to see what Marvel's first family looks like when they have the reins. But it's, again, and so, even in this... Uh, yeah. We're if talking they, about the future trailer. They, they still haven't announced anything yet. They just hinted at it with a big old, very easily recognizable logo at the end of the trailer. And if they fuck it up, it's on them now. Yeah. They have no one else to blame. I mean, it's it's really, at this point, I don't think they could do any worse. I, famous last words, I suppose, I guess I hope I don't have to eat them. <laughs> but I, I don't think, given how much of a pass, uh, or how much of a fail... Um, most of the Fantastic Four on-screen interpretations have been so far. I don't think Marvel could do worse. I mean, if the, the best thing you can say about it was that the, you know, the uh, Chickless Griffith, Alba, Evans version was not terrible, not as good as most of the MCU stuff, but because it wasn't MCU, but not terrible. If that's the best thing you can say about, M, uh, about uh, Fantastic Four movies so far, then Marvel kind of has their work cut out for them once they got the reins back. Right. All right, so the last uh, one we're going to talk about here real quick before the break, and we kind of hinted at it already. We were talking about Andrew Garfield. Uh, he's been in the social media again, uh, talking about uh, very adamantly denying rumors that he is in uh, the new Spider-Man movie, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, 
he's flattered, as you said, he's flattered, and he loves the fact that he's getting this attention. But no, he's not in it. Stop asking, basically. Oh, heavens no. I don't know what you've heard, but there's no truth to those rumors at all. I got done playing Spider-Man years ago. I took off the suit. Nah, this, nothing like that is happening. Right, and then he, right after coming out so strong about it, he had to kind of walk it back. And yeah. he's like, he kind of softly walked it back. He's like, well, you know, I mean, I won't ever say never and blah, blah, blah. And it's like... If I was invited back, I would maybe consider putting the suit back on again and doing a little web slinging. So hedging is like anything else. It's like anything else. Any other speculation or rumors or whatever you want to talk about when it comes to the MCU. You just, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And Mm -hmm. uh, if it pans out, great. If it doesn't, then it was just a rumor. And, And that's, I think, with as much speculation as happens in the MCU by fans and by the press and everything else, it's kind of a, um, it's, it's a blessing in disguise that that happens. I agree. So we'll see how that pans out. I mean, again, same thing with uh, Emily Blunt. I think you do protest too much, but uh, we'll take it at uh, face value for now until we don't have to. So, I mean, Alfred Molina can try and walk back what he said, but we all know we're not going to believe him if he tries it. So uh, I think it's a foregone conclusion. My mind's pretty set on the fact that they've got both of them back, but we'll see. All right, so we're going to take a real quick break, and when we return, we will continue with the Nerd News Nexus on the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. Welcome back to the Feel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. <laughs> I'm loving this already. I wonder how long it's going to take for me to get tired of doing that. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, so another uh, trending topic here on my uh, massive list of articles that I've gone through this last week and a half. Uh, Gates McFadden and LeVar Burton, uh, both of Star Trek The Next Generation fame. Of course, uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher and... Uh, Lieutenant Jordy LaForge, respectively. I guess he got promoted. He's Commander LaForge. But uh, they uh, have come out and both stated that they will not uh, be a part of uh, Star Trek's Picard Season 2, which I know there was a lot of rumors going around that they would be, or that everybody was kind of hoping that they would be invited back to do reprise their roles, but... uh, uh, and I think especially uh, those two in particular, because we have uh, Beverly Crusher, who has such a strong tie to uh, Picard himself, uh, romantically, and, and uh, just as a really close friend. And then La- with Jordi LaForge uh, being such good friends with Data, incorporating yeah. him into the storyline with uh, with Data's offspring would be... You know, it would make good sense. Um, so I was really kind of disappointed to hear that. Uh, I, I've heard some of the other stuff that they're doing with Picard Season 2. Uh, have you had a chance to watch uh, Picard at all yet? 
I have not. I've, I've sort of been. Um, we've talked about this before. Like I, I, I kind of feel like I missed the Trek boat a long time ago. I have nothing but respect for Trek, um, and I know enough about it to the point where. I mean, it's, it's obviously a huge part of the pop culture and specifically a big part of the nerd culture, so it's on my radar, and I know enough about it to be able to kind of hold my own in conversations, but especially when you and Champ talk about it, I just sort of want to hang back and listen a lot of the time because <laughs> I sort of like, uh, by the time that I, that Trek really showed up on my nerd radar, I think we were well into, I mean, I was aware of the original series, obviously, and I, I sort of like had seen a couple of episodes of, of Next Generation, but I want to say it was somewhere in the middle of Deep Space Nine or, or, or even Voyager when, when I sort of really understood the, the position of Trek and pop culture. And at that point, in order to catch up and get up to speed, it would have taken me, and this is before streaming, so you couldn't even really binge then. So I just kind of... Had to find a I bunch of old VHS yeah. tapes. Yeah, I'm going to kind of let the Trek thing go because I, I sort of missed the boat on it and it's too late to really catch up now. But, um, you know, if, if we've got Gates McFadden and LeVar Burton saying they're not going to be on the show, one thing that did actually make some headlines last year or the year before, must have been the year before, pre-COVID, I think, was Patrick Stewart showing up on The View and very famously and pointedly asking Whoopi Goldberg to come back and, and uh, reprise her role of Guinan. So I think that's probably going to be going to happen unless there's been a big sea change in, in, in the middle of the whole COVID thing and they've, they've maybe made some different different plans for what they want to do with the series and the character. But for the most part, I really don't have any room or any space to speculate on anything, Trek, because it's just you know it's just not one of the fandoms that I necessarily was able to squeeze in among all the rest of the shit that I I pay obsessive amounts of attention to. And, and one thing, uh, and and you make a good point, bringing up Whoopi Goldberg's return as Guinan. Uh, we've already had confirmation that John Delancey will be returning uh, to the Star Trek franchise as Q. Well, he is ageless, timeless, and immortal. Indeed, he is. But the thing that he screwed up with, and we're talking about Ruffalo and, and uh, Garf, or not Garfield, <laughs> but uh, Ruffalo and Holland making uh, big, massive spoilers their thing. Uh, he came out and said, yeah, I'm coming back for uh, Picard Season 2 and Season 3. And it's like, oh, oh so. So they haven't announced Season 3 yet, but you're mm-hmm. going to blow the lid off of that. Right. So we have uh, Q coming back, and Q, of course, being natural enemies with... Uh, with Guinan, I, I think they could have some real fun uh, interplay between the two of them should they choose to bring Whoopi back into the series like that. I think that'd be amazing. Well, I think at this point they better bring Whoopi back because it was such a public overture and it was so well received in the, the footage of that. Even for folks that weren't necessarily uh, watchers of Picard or watchers of The View, that thing got shared all over social media. So if they don't bring Whoopi back at this point, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of egg on their face. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, and they, there's even been rumors that they might bring uh, Wesley Crusher back, which would be interesting. Uh, I, I know Wheaton would be jump at the chance, probably, as long as they did it right. I mean, Wheaton's yeah. got such a deep, unbiting love for, for, for Trek. Not only just Trek, but his old castmates. He considers them family. And so that'd be really kind of neat to see uh, him play in that sandbox again. Which is really sweet of him to take up that position because, the you know, even really pre-massive amounts of internet culture, uh, Next Generation and the internet kind of came up around the same time, but but uh, the, the Geekosphere was not very kind to... No, he catches a lot of fucking hate. He catches a lot of hate. That he doesn't deserve. No, absolutely not. Was the character of, of, uh, of uh, Wesley Crusher written all that well? It wasn't very consistent. And if you listen to Mission Log, uh, like I do... You'll have heard them talk about it all the time, talking about how he's very inconsistently written, very uh, solid in this role, 
and kind of wishy-washy here and a good character here and just kind of why the fuck is he here here and so i mean will wheaton to his credit did the very very best that he could with that information and with that uh kind of uh inconsistent writing over the first couple of seasons of that show and i would welcome like i said i would love to see him come back and play in that sandbox i think it would be uh, good for him, good for the cast, good for the nerd sphere as a whole. Uh, and, and you can just see his his effusive love for his old castmates and everything else. Because he hosts the Ready Room, which is the the post-Star Trek show. Uh, kind of like they do for The Walking Dead. They have this post-wrap-up uh, uh, show after each episode. And, and Will Wheaton gets to host that and see to see him interact with all these different people and and the directors which of course Johnny Frakes is one of his uh, uh, best best friends and and former castmates and so he interacts with him and you can just see the love shining off of him when he talks to him so yeah Frakes uh, who has mostly moved behind the camera uh, since Next Generation and, and good for him you know I mean mm-hmm. he was a very strong performer but he's also a really strong director mm-hmm. and uh, loves some stuff from him but him yeah back. I really hope I hope he does get to go back in there because I think it'd be good for the character too I really do um, it, it, you know we, we talked a little bit about in previous episodes sort of like redemption arcs and I think Wesley could probably benefit from one of those but also I, I want to say and it wasn't the first time certainly but it was one of the earlier examples that I can remember of the internet sort of clowning on uh, an actor for the the character that they played and of course we've obviously right. seen that recently with um um uh, wyatt russell in the role of of u.s <laughs> agent slash captain america in the falcon winter soldier series and i didn't watch game of thrones but um you know there were a couple characters on that that were very hated because they were you know really really evil villainous characters um specifically uh, joffrey baratheon joffrey yeah joffrey baratheon who was uh jack gleason the actors yeah and he, he's retired from acting based on uh how badly such... he was He's such a good kid. He's, and he's such a, a good actor. kid. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, if, if any people are so stupid, they want to just, oh gosh, not hashtag not my cap or Joffrey needs to die and all that. And they're going to just completely bag on these guys for being detestable. But they, what they don't realize is you're hating them for being very, very good at their jobs. Exactly. If they can actually, as such a likable human being, if they can take that character that is supposed to be hated and play them to the, the level that you cheer when they die, then you shouldn't, don't be sending the actor death threats. You should be, you know, applauding them for doing a fantastic job because uh, they, they took their own uh, their own acting ability and their own likability as human beings and just turned that around into, into turning into performance as a villain that was so convincing that you legitimately hated them. Absolutely. And, and I remember, uh, and we're kind of digressing here, so I'll get back on topic here, but uh, I remember my, the first time I really noticed that was when uh, I watched Gladiator and the role of Emperor Commodus played by Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix, and I just hated him, and I hated him. He was truly detestable. To. But then I got out, and I'm like, well, I don't fucking hate Joaquin Phoenix I hate Commodus, and the fact that Joaquin Phoenix played Commodus so odiously and so yeah. horrifically, and to the make point that I, I actually just sat there loathing the guy, it's like, oh, well, that's just a huge testament to this dude as an actor. For real. So, so I, for one, would welcome uh, Wesley Crusher. Come on back, buddy. We miss you. Do I it. think it'd be great to see in a, a more realistic type of setting because, like this Picard show, is a much handled much more realistically, quote unquote, new Trek 
than the original yeah. episodic Star Treks were, and the Star Treks, you know, melodrama and and whatever else you want to call it, but uh, it's handled in a much more nuanced and much more realistic style, and I think, uh, like you said, a redemption arc for Crusher, a redemption arc for uh, Guinan would be fantastic. You know, having these people in this new and improved setting, having Q in a setting where he's still Q, mm-hmm. but now it's more realistic and more grounded and and i'd really love to see what they do with that so for sure okay moving on we have now here's a dumb little piece of information (laughs) resident evil village resident evil 8 has been released and it is a smash hit i have yet to pick it up yet i uh I, i don't have it yet either i'm planning on it i like the resident evil series they're fun uh it's been a while it's been a hot minute since i've dabbled in the resident evil worlds and my kids getting into it now so it's something that i might be able to play as long as maria's off doing something else in her room so <laughs> yeah and i had I, I was a huge resident evil fan back in the day like i remember uh playing resident evil one on the playstation and just thinking to myself this is really groundbreaking because for the time the pre-rendered backgrounds of the tank controls was kind of an interesting control scheme, and it was uh, it looked pretty good for the era. I mean, you look back on it now, and obviously there's pixels the size of canned hams and textures <laughs> that are rougher than sandpaper, but at the time, when those Dobermans jumped through the windows, I about oh. shit my pants, and it was just oh. really effective. It was such a great game, and I really I followed the series up through, I want to say, number five. And then number six kind of flopped a little bit, and it wasn't that really well-received of a game. And to be fair, like, number five wasn't that great either. But, it was, okay, it wasn't a terrible game, but following number four, which is pretty much agreed upon by most of me, the strongest of the entire series, and I right. happen to agree with that assessment, number five kind of couldn't help but be disappointing unless it was absolutely mind-blowing. But as groundbreaking as, as number four was now, and you look back at it now, and, and that, that over-the-shoulder third-person perspective was is kind of the first time that really showed up, and now it's it's de rigueur for, for most third-person shooter and RPG games. Um, and, and, and the sort of, like, I remember I played it on the Wii the first time, and so you were able to aim with the nunchuck control and move with the, the or, or aim with the Wiimote and move with the nunchuck. It was really very innovative and very groundbreaking, so five could not almost have helped but be a disappointment because there just wasn't that much ground left to break they kind of built off of number four but i was disappointed with five and so i I kind of i played through it and i just was underwhelmed by it so i sort of dropped the series and i really have some catching up to do because even if six was disappointing apparently number seven was was quite the return to form if not and mechanically at least in terms of quality and of course number eight uh the uh the anticipation of this has been running really high because the internet at large kind of fell in love with, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Lady Dimitrescu, who is the gigantic Romanian vampire who, canon-wise, they, they've admitted is about nine feet tall. And um, That's a deliberately big portrayed bitch. as being, Yeah, deliberately portrayed as being very fan service level attractive, and she's been cosplayed to death by every, you know, uh, <laughs> cosplayer on Instagram and even before the game came out, so... This may be the one that kind of gets me back in. I haven't, like you said, uh, and much like you, picked it up yet, but it is something that's been on my radar for a while, and it's something I want to give a shot to because, if nothing else, to sort of to see what the hype is all about. See, and one of my favorite things going on right now, and there's a bunch of videos of people doing this, and I don't know if it's a hack or if it's just people uh, exercising their freedom to play the game however they want. Uh, yeah. you got players making videos of themselves confronting Lady Dimitrescu with uh, a fly swatter. So they're not trying to kill her. They sneak around behind her and swat her on the ass 
and then run away when she tries to attack. And then you sneak up behind her again, swat her on the ass, and then run away. <laughs> it's just, it's the most obnoxious trend right now, but I laugh every single time. Yeah, that seems a little bit out there. Um, but the fact that there's a apparently a, a wieldable fly swatter in the game, uh, <laughs> that I find kind of interesting and, and uh, kind of want to see what that's all about. Even if I don't wind up sort of very dude bro non-consensually uh, knocking around the, the big hot tall lady vampire character. So here's one that I want to talk about that might take a few minutes and just bear with me. It's very important, actually. Uh, Seth Rogen has recently come out because he's uh, doing... Uh, press now for this uh, Pam and Tommy show uh, coming out to Hulu. We talked a little bit about that with uh, Sebastian Stan and Lily James uh, as Tommy and Pam uh, respectively. Uh, Seth Rogen is playing the the dude who sold the sex tape and uh, so he shaved off his beard and he's skinny and unrecognizable anymore and and, yeah, uh, I saw a picture of him, and it was one of those things where obviously Seth Rogen is a very recognizable celebrity type person, but if I saw him in this getup with the mullet and the beard and 50 pounds gone, I would pass him on the street and not even know it was him. So that's definitely something that uh, that is worth <laughs> remarking upon for sure. But uh, Seth Rogen is in the news cycle against. The, uh, he states now that he has not worked with James Franco, his longtime uh, collaborative partner, since 2017. Yeah. And more on topic, has no uh, plans to continue working with James Franco after James Franco's uh, sexual abuse uh, scandals had surfaced. That and, is a very bold thing for him to come out and say, especially considering their track record. They did the interview, they did End of the World, they did Pineapple Express. They've been collaborators for a very, very long time. And, and back since think, the Freaks and Geeks days. Yeah, oh, yeah, they go way back. So for him to. Not just come out and say, because I think, I mean, unless you're somebody who really, really pays uh, an incredibly close amount of attention to the the minutia of of Hollywood relationships, it would not have occurred to me to to stand back and think to myself, well, why haven't Seth Rogen and James Franco done anything in a while? Um, So for him to uh, to kind of to 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 come out and get ahead of that and say, uh, yeah, I'm not working with him because uh, he's he's got uh, some some you know black marks on his ledger that I just can't I can't really condone i can't be seen as being somebody who's okay with what he's been accused of regardless of how far we go back and how much work we've done together so i'm going to publicly come out and say i'm not working with that dude for now right and there's a lot of people coming out uh in support of like you just said uh, you know you're making a bold move and you're doing the right thing and but there's also a lot of people that are coming out and saying oh well you should have done this earlier and why is it taking you so long and weren't you the one standing up for him blah 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 blah, blah. and and kind of, it's difficult to know which tack to take with with uh, Seth on this. Like, I want to say I'm proud of him for 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 doing the right thing and finally uh, distancing himself publicly from it. Yeah. But at the other hand, I kind of understand. It's been James Franco's been embroiled in this for years now. Yeah. And it's something that I think maybe he should have spoken out more clearly about previous. Yeah, and I'm with you on that one, but I think kind of harkening back a couple of months to the uh, Sparkling Consequences episode, if I'm being really consistent in my assessment of shit like this, um, if somebody, you, you got to give people the room to be able to correct their, their behavior, to course correct a little bit. So even if he was a little bit reluctant at first to necessarily come out and take a strong stand on it, uh, the fact that he's able to kind of look back on 
maybe some past mistakes or some, some times when he should have been a little more emphatic about it but wasn't. Um, you you got to give people room to grow. you got to give people room to sort of be contrite and, and make apologies and make room for the shit they've done or said previously. It's when somebody doubles down and said, yeah, I said what I said. Cancel me if you fucking want. That's when I take issue. But, like, we talked about this in terms of, like, Gina Carano versus James Gunn. When confronted with her shitty problematic behavior, Gina Carano said, yeah, I'm going to go make a movie with Ben Shapiro. Fuck y'all. And when confronted with his problematic behavior in the past, James Gunn said, you know what? I was wrong. I wasn't as smart of a person then. I've grown. I'm not that guy anymore. And I really would appreciate it if, if uh, after kind of stepping back and reassessing where I can improve, if, if you could give me another chance, because I really I don't believe the things that I said. There's a big difference between those two mindsets and those two approaches to the problem. And I think if I'm really being consistent, I kind of got to give Seth Rogen some credit for... Uh, for, for not necessarily um, throwing his buddy under the bus, which, again, would sort of, like, that would, would give James Franco more credit because, you know, the expression itself, throwing somebody under the bus, means you're, you're clowning on him for doing something that that uh, that maybe they don't deserve to be deep-sexed for. Uh, he definitely does. Um, so for, for Seth Rogen to publicly say, yeah, he's been my friend in the past, we've done a lot of work together before, but I'm just not going to work with that guy right now uh, until some, some changes take place. Um that's, I think, a big step, and I think he deserves credit for it. I agree. I agree. All right, so we're going to bust through a few of these other uh, shorter ones. Cause I got, like, there's a there's a real wide range on these topics. Some of them are just like, oh, hey, that's interesting. And some of them, like the James Franco and, and Seth Rogen thing, take a little bit They're of discussion. Nuanced. Yeah. Um, Ms. Marvel and Cobra Kai have both wrapped their new seasons. Ms. Marvel, of course, for their first season on Disney+, and Cobra Kai wrapping their fourth season. Uh, I'm stupid excited for both of these shows. It's really yeah, ridiculous. Be great. Now, you do you watch Cobra Kai? Um, that's another one. I'm kind of funny about ongoing series. You bad. And don't give me that face. You, <laughs> the audio folks can't see you, but you're giving me. You're rolling your eyes at me. I kind of like to wait until something is done so I can binge it in a sprint because I'm entitled, I'm spoiled, and I'm impatient, and I want to be able to. You got three watch seasons things. you can watch now. Well, yeah, but the fourth one, they just wrapped on it, so it might be a couple months before it's out, and I don't want to have to wait, because like I said, I'm, I'm spoiled and I'm entitled. <laughs> if so, I want to binge something all in a sprint. Like, um, I just started watching Ozark on, on Netflix, and it's a brilliant series. Uh, it's been kind of compared favorably in a lot of uh, venues to Breaking Bad. Isn't that the one very... with uh, Jason Bateman? Yeah, Jason. Oh, and I get to roll my eyes at you because you haven't seen that one. Yeah, mm. but no, it's it's that one. It's it's a very very good series. It was recommended to me very highly, and watching it, uh, I can see why it was favorably compared to Breaking Bad. In that it's a guy with a family who finds himself in an untenable situation with some very bad people who kind of has to roll with the punches to survive. That's about as far as the similarities go. But it's it, the mood of it and the feel of it is is very much like Breaking Bad, which I happen to be of the opinion was the greatest TV series of all time. So I'm, I'm really with you. Ozark. I'm but, with you with that. But Cobra Kai, I really do want to wait until I mean, however many seasons they go. Um I could really watch the I, first I, few seasons. I now. feel like season four is might just be the end of it and and I don't want to wish anything ill on it. I just I really want it to go out on top as opposed to petering out. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't want to be the series that went one season too long, where, like The Office, where everybody kind of rolls their eyes and says, yeah, it's just, or Game of Thrones, where that or last fucking Dexter. Scrubs. That uh, last yeah, season that, of that Scrubs. last season was just unessential viewing. They jumped the shark a season earlier, and they really should have called it quits, and the quitting was good. Um, but yeah, but Cobra they Kai, threw I threw money at anymore. it. They threw money at it. Because Cobra Kai originally was on, on YouTube TV, um, but now it's on Netflix, and, and I, I really should 
catch up with it, and I will, because I was a big fan of the Karate Kid series, so that'll be something that I do watch, but uh, I do, like I said, because I'm spoiled, I do want to wait until it's finished so that I can watch it all in a sprint and not have to worry about cooling my heels waiting for another season to, to wrap up and, 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 and get slapped up on the service. Well, big shout-out to friend of the show, Eric Horton. I know Eric's waiting for uh, Season 4 to come out because we're going to talk about it then, too. So uh, I know he's ready and waiting in the wings. So uh, good on you, Eric. All right, uh, we're going to do one more, and then we're going to take another break here real quick. So um, this one's fun. Uh, Adult Swim has announced new movies being made for the Venture Brothers... Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and my personal favorite, Metalocalypse. I can't imagine why that would be the one that you like the most. I can't imagine. I am ridiculously excited for all three of them. I mean, I'm not a huge Venture Brothers fan. Uh, I know a lot of people are. I know they've got a cult following. Uh, I I grew up on Aqua Teen. I grew up on Metalocalypse, and those are my jam. And and, uh, I, I thought that they left Metalocalypse in particular in uh kind of a uh what the fuck kind of cliffhanger and they never solved it and brandon small's been kind of uh uh wishy-washy about saying whether or not it was ever going to get a continuation but uh it has been confirmed that there are movies in the works well any series that kind of ends too soon that doesn't get that conclusive put a button on its season where it sort of ends on a cliffhanger or ends on something inconclusive I think there really should be, and again, this is wishful thinking, this will never happen, but any creator that enters into a, a content creation um, agreement with any sort of network or streaming platform should put it in their contract that if you cancel us on a cliffhanger, you owe us at least a movie so that we can wrap things up and tie up any loose ends. Kind of like they did with that. Serenity and Firefly. and Right, exactly. That's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about. That was a really nice... Um, button on that uh, that series, which was again just terminated way too short. Um, so I think really that it's it's a good thing for them. And I actually I saw this news for the first time on MC Chris's Facebook page, and I follow him on Facebook, and he of course was very famously MC P Pants on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And uh, so I want he was candy, bubblegum, and taffy. <laughs> he was pretty excited that he he'd be coming back to shoot some more on that series. So uh, yeah, that's that's great news for for anybody who followed those series, and they all had. Their fan bases and, and and all rightly so. Agreed, and, and so I'm looking forward to those. Now we are going to take uh, another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with the nerd, nerd news, news nexus. nexus. Welcome back to the nexus of nerdly news. So, Gina Carano is trending again, unfortunately. Ooh. But uh, there are reports uh, swirling, and, and it's been more than proven, so it's not even just reports anymore. But uh, Disney Plus is pushing for her to win a Best Supporting Actress Emmy for her work on The Mandalorian. And that kind of rankles me a little bit because it seems kind of hypocritical. 
It really uh, does seem very, we want to have our cake and eat it too. Like we're going to can you for being somebody who's problematic in the pop culture, but we also want to uh, be able to, to claim accolades and point to you as being somebody who was instrumental to the series we fired you from. Does that mean I disagree with the reason she was fired? No, I don't. I really, I think she does, you know, you don't question the Holocaust ever, especially not in the entertainment industry, which has a very high um, you know, population of Jewish power players. Not that I'm saying that makes a difference, that, that you should just kowtow to them because they're in charge. But, I mean, it really is something that she shouldn't have done, she shouldn't have said, and she deserved to be shit-canned for it. But for Disney to turn around and say, yeah, we, we know we got rid of her, but, uh, you know, she also was pretty good on the show. Um, it's just it going to give her firepower. Yeah, it is. Like, oh, now they're going to tout me as being a, you know, they're, they're going to for your consideration me for the, for the role. Uh, after they shit can me, well, that just proves that it was political. That just proves that had nothing to do with my performance, and it really does. It's it's it is it supports her her argument, and so for that reason, I, I really kind of wrinkle my nose about it. And then there was the whole uh, Golden Globes catastrophe. Yeah, uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has, in recent years, there have been some rumblings. I mean, even as well, the Golden Globes, first of all, has always been a really irreverent program. Um, and then a reverent ceremony. The Oscars is very formal. It's the, the Motion Picture Academy. The Emmys is very serious. But the Golden Globes is always kind of the one where you could get drunk and make fun of each other. And that's <laughs> been very typified by these sort of trade-off rotating host thing of Amy Poehler and Tina Fey taking a couple years. And then Ricky Gervais coming back and taking a couple years. And all of them just unabashedly roasting the audience. And it's, it's always in good fun. Uh, but... The Hollywood Foreign Press Association has come under fire, and again, rightly so, for being a pretty homogenous organization. They're not very diverse. Um, it is very European in nature. It's not all European. It is just it really is a, any any foreign entity, any non-American entity that that really covers Hollywood, uh, kind of is tangentially related in a lot of ways to the the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So, I, I suppose in that way, because America is really a melting pot. And other countries tend to be a little bit less diverse. I suppose it, it almost makes sense that, that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a little bit less um, diverse than, than most American press entities. But the other side of that is that they've also kind of come under fire for asking really racially and gender insensitive questions uh, of the winners and people that they interview right. both at the ceremony and in the due course of doing their job to write articles for foreign news entities about Hollywood. Right. And so very famously Scarlett Johansson and Tom Cruise have both returned their Golden Globes and they each had a few apiece saying we don't want any part of this organization until it uh, kind of cleans up its garden a little bit and in the wake of that NBC has said okay well we're just not going to air, air the ceremony next year and of course uh, even in the middle of, of, of a global pandemic awards shows kind of live and die by their broadcast audience I mean the Emmys and the, uh, the Oscars both did very low key ceremonies in the last 12 to 16 months but they still had televised ceremonies so for the uh, for NBC to say yeah we're just not going to air these next year are we even going to have 2021 Golden Globes we don't know everything is kind of up in the air right now because there's a, a big reckoning happening with the people who make the movies um, kind of looking at the, the Hollywood Foreign Press and saying hey you know you guys you need to get your shit together get your shit together get it all together get your poop in a group and your turds in a herd Hollywood Foreign Press we don't want to work with you until you figure your shit out all right, we'll throw a couple of quickies out here. Uh, Mountain Dew, Nerd Fuel, 
Mountain Dew is adding a smashed birthday cake flavor, uh, which has me just going, fucking why? 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 Because apparently, you, we need to come up with all new ways to deliver high fructose corn syrup into the, uh, the mouths, bellies, and veins of people who sort of live and die by their caffeine shot while they're trying to get their gaming in. It seems to me like they're trying to do a thing like with Bang and, and all these other energy drinks. And, and I've tried like the Bang birthday cake energy drink and it just tasted like chemical frosting. It was just, it was like ridiculously <laughs> really sweet and just horrible. And so I can't imagine that's going to be any good. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I, I will not find out. Unless they release a zero variant, in which case I might try it. Uh, because I stay away from sugar. All right. Uh, let's see. Quick ones here. Quick ones here. Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live about a week ago, uh, as of recording here. So two weeks by the time you listen to it, roundabout. Uh, and speculation that he was going on the show led to a spike in Dogecoin prices, which I finally invested a little bit into. I'm kind of dipping my toes in. But, uh... Led to a spike in Dogecoin prices previous to the episode. And then he got on the episode and said, Ah, oh, Dogecoin's a hustle. And yeah. it subsequently tanked it. And yeah. it's, 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 it's been a posting bit, a rebound, but, uh, but yeah. it's But during the actual... Because we can watch market fluctuations in real time now. During the actual episode itself, I think it dipped something like 30%. And he also, um, right around the same time that he was on SNL, he uh, tweeted, and this is, again, Elon Musk has gotten in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission a lot for either intentional or sort of passive market manipulation because he is kind of a nerd god for a lot of these Wall Street speculation people that hang out on Reddit and trade, you know, uh, Bitcoin and, and, and GameStop stock and all this Wall Street bets, our Wall Street bets guys. So he is kind of looked up to by those guys a lot. And so anything he says has the potential to make things happen in a big way in the markets. And so right around the same time he was on SNL, he came out and tweeted that Tesla, uh, in, in contrast to what was previously reported, would actually be taking a step back on accepting Bitcoin as payment for Tesla or any Tesla products, which caused the, uh, the value of both his stock and of Bitcoin to just go tumbling. I think it was estimated that Elon Musk, at least in terms of valuation, lost something like $20 billion in a day uh, just by saying something on Twitter, which is an absolutely <laughs> asinine thing to even think about, much less articulate out loud, much less actually watch happen in the fucking real world like it did. But, yeah, that guy, uh, he's, he's, he's got uh, not just power within his company, not just power within his industry, not just power within the culture, but... That guy, a tweet from him can send the markets plummeting or soaring, depending on which direction he wants them to go. Right, and it's kind of uh, interesting. I don't really follow it too greatly. I don't have a whole lot invested in it. Like I said, I'm just kind of dipping my toes in, seeing what's what. But it is uh, interesting to watch that needle rise and fall with every breath that he utters. And it's strange to have someone who has that kind of uh, sway. Clout. Yeah, clout, yeah. It's really kind of... I don't want to say off-putting. Off-putting is probably the wrong way to phrase it, but it's definitely kind of scary in a way. It's disturbing. It really is. All right. Plus, you know, if you want to break it down, the episode wasn't all that great. I'll just go out there and say it. Although he did make a little bit of news. Any backlash that he might have incurred from hosting the the show as a billionaire and and certain uh, 
Leading up to the episode, there were certain cast members of SNL that said they didn't want to work with him. Others were sort of forced to go on talk shows and defend him. Pete Davidson did that on Seth Meyers. But he did sort of, um, to a certain degree, uh, counter the backlash a little bit by making some news in the monologue by admitting that he has Asperger's. Which, you know, he said he was the first person on the spectrum, that at least willing to admit that they're on the spectrum, to be invited to host SNL. So that, I guess, was kind of a win for the... Um, the autism and, and, and spectrum uh, visibility community. Um, you know, sort of saying that, hey, you know, you can really do anything you set your mind to. Right. You may be held back by your neurodiversity, but you also, uh, you know, you have strengths and there, there's, there's really nothing you can't do if you really buckle down and focus on it, including be a billionaire and host Saturday Night Live in the same week. There you go. All right, a couple of more quick ones here. We're just going to keep batting them out here. I got a whole long list. I want to make sure we get through it all. Uh, not nerd, not nerd related, but definitely something that's been on the uh, cultural ki- uh, kind of pipeline right now. Speaking of pipelines, uh, Colonial Pipeline hackers were paid five million dollars in ransom to restore the services that they themselves shut down on the East Coast. Um, when they were paid this ransom, they released the encryption key to open and unlock the services that they had locked out, um, which is exactly why you don't want to pay these ransom people because it's just going to encourage more uh cyber hostage and terrorist attacks but uh right as soon as they admitted that uh, they gave them the key and the people that were trying to open the pipeline anyways the 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 white hats that were trying to get behind it again uh discovered that it was quicker to just continue working on their efforts rather than using the the tech that they were provided by their ransomware so uh they probably would have been better off not paying that five million dollars well, I mean, not only because that just really gives other terrorists nego- uh, the, the, the understanding that, you know, we'll not only negotiate with terrorists, we'll pay you your ransom. Um, that is, on the one hand, pretty unfortunate. On the other hand, it was kind of a drop in the bucket because they're a fucking oil company. Five million dollars they can make over lunch with one hand tie behind their back. Um, so it sets a dangerous precedent, but it also, you know, it's it, there's also kind of that, like, Robin Hood thing going on where anybody who's a citizen of the universe has to think, well, you know... It, like like you you got you talked about on the maybe Thanos had a point episode. Occasionally the villains have a point. And in this instance going after the oil companies is sort of something that, you know, not a lot of people who are citizens of the universe in twenty twenty one would disagree with because they are greedy, they are raping the earth, they are absolutely profiting off of uh, off of environmental destruction. Right. Not that I want to defend the hackers, not that I want to say that it's a good idea or encourage anybody else to, uh, to, to you know, slap ransomware on anybody. But if you're going to go after anyone, maybe the oil companies isn't such a bad target. Um, I, certainly wouldn't, say I certainly wouldn't want to go on record and say that they should go after everybody's uh, credit scores and credit ratings and just kind of make those oh, go God, away. No, that, that would be, be terrible. terrible. Please don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't go all Fight Club on the, uh, on, on the credit bureaus <laughs> or anything. That's right. just, you know, we would not double condone. wink. We at the Fuel Your Fandom podcast do not condone such behavior. Make no mistake. But the other upshot of that was that, and we talked about this a little on Facebook prior to this episode, but all of these fucking idiots hoarding gas in trash bags and plastic tubs, I, you know, I just can't, I don't, I really don't understand the mindset behind that. It's the toilet paper thing at the start of COVID all over again. But what, you know, what was it? That me- what was that meme that said? Uh, it's like maybe the CDC just saw people hoarding gas in Burger King cups and just decided, yeah. "Fuck it, take your masks off. We're done." Whatever, humanity is over. You're gonna hoard. <laughs> I I can't. I really don't understand. How, what's your plan to get that back out of the plastic tub? And not just that, but the reason why Turkey there's baster. constantly a steady supply of gas tankers on the road <laughs> pumping 
replacement gas into the tanks of your local Speedway or, or, or 7-Eleven is because gas separates. Gas actually spoils. It's only got a shelf life of maybe six to eight months. That's why anybody who lives in a, a climate that's temperate, that has both summer and winter months, they tell you you, you need to drain your snowblower and your lawnmower seasonally because if you mow your lawn for the last time in September and try to go back to it in March or April, there's a good chance that your gas might be bad because it just it doesn't last that long. Right. So all these idiots filling up these, the, you know, 10, 20, 35 gallon tubs or, or the, the gallon gas cans and stacking up the back of their SUVs, you're, you're, you're somehow even worse than the toilet paper hoarders. Because at least if you buy a bunch of toilet paper from some bulk retailer, the toilet paper is not going to go bad in your closet over a year. The gas <laughs> will. So you're an idiot. All right. We got a little bit of time left, so I want to I hit a few more of these real quick. Uh, let's see. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Peggy Carter, uh, both declared... Non-canon uh, are likely to soft reboot with the same actors in certain roles. So like your Clark Gregg's last your, week. Yeah, uh, they're they're kind of uh, been released on Disney Plus, but they're kind of in a non-canon category. So uh, we kind of all saw it coming. We saw the writing on the wall. We didn't want to see it, but uh, at least it, it might give us an opportunity to see Peggy brought back and see. Uh, Coulson, brought, uh, Coulson back. brought back, and of course Quake is a big character they're going to want to try and play with, and uh, so it'll but be I interesting think, to know, see what they do with those. As soon as we had Endgame, and all those portals opened up, and every single MCU hero that's ever existed came strolling through those Doctor Strange open portals, and we didn't see the Punisher, we didn't see Daredevil, we didn't see Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Quake, or Phil Coulson, I think that was kind of the MCU's way of saying, yeah, you know what, we sort of walked away from that. Initially, Kevin Feige had said the tagline for when uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. debuted was hashtag it's all connected. And the plan initially was to integrate the series with the, 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 uh, the large screen stuff. But like we talked about in the Falcon and Winter Soldier mega episode, they didn't, they just, they walked away from that. And there were several articles written about it at the time that I remember reading, but they just, they didn't, they, it, it didn't pan out the way that anybody wanted, uh, especially Marvel. Because I, remember, I think the last overture they made was we talked about this again in that same episode about the uh the helicarrier skewering the triskelion and therefore sort of like deep sixing shield forcing them underground that was the last major big screen event that was referenced on the small screen i think lady sif might have turned up in one episode of agents of shield but apart from that they just kind of gave up and uh, you know there was never any real explanation as to why that was but the fact that they're saying yeah those are essentially star wars extended universe novels now and we're not going to actually be referencing those anymore. And we're probably going to start them over again. It's, it's just, it's, it's a real wasted opportunity because that's years of television that was, had a lot of promise and a lot of potential that they just sort of squandered once things kind of got bigger than they expected them to be. Well, we'll see what that equals out to. Let's go continue with some of the Marvel news. Uh, the, the, the movie, the Marvels, which was announced as Captain Marvel two was changed to the Marvels. Uh, they allegedly changed the title and format of the movie to include Monica Rambeau uh, from uh, uh, WandaVision and to con- include uh, Ms. Marvel from the upcoming Ms. Marvel series uh, and alongside Brie Larson's uh, Captain Marvel was allegedly changed due to the lack of faith in Brie Larson as an actress in the role, which I find is really kind of disappointing i didn't have a problem at all with with brie larson as captain marvel i liked it but yeah i mean so did i but then again you and i are not the uh the the 
toxic fanboy assholes who have a problem with a female-led superhero movie. And I think that was really... It's sad to me that, that Marvel would would bow to that in a way. I don't know if that factored into the decision or not, but I've been reading a lot of, of speculation kind of in the less reliable geek press. There's a lot of different... Um, uh, sort of geek press entities that just throw out wild speculation about things so then the maybe 10% of the time that they're right they could point to that you know, as being credibility look we were right about this and the other 90% of the time they could just say oh we were just fucking around um, but yeah I've seen a lot of those press entities it, which I use the term loosely sort of saying that Brie Larson that Disney has lost confidence in her as Captain Marvel I think she did a great job but if, if them sort of widening the focus of this to include Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan is, um, uh, if, if that winds up being true, if they're, if they're doing that because Brie Larson has proven either unpopular or unsatisfactory in the role, I think that's sad. But at the same time, I mean, I guess it's kind of part of their focus and part of their big picture idea to do whatever they're going to do. And and maybe this, this change came along after they put WandaVision together and, and introduced the Monica Rambeau character. Maybe it was just a, a means of them sort of trying to incorporate the, the different characters they've introduced. So nobody really knows. I mean, and we won't know until the movie comes out. Yeah, we'll just have to kind of play it by ear and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, on the, one more Marvel news no, uh, story here. Uh, Eternals and Shang-Chi, uh, according to a reliable source within the Chinese foreign press, uh, will likely not be released in China. Uh, which could possibly massively affect its theatrical take and its theatrical gross, which uh, if you're in the Disney Marvel sphere, uh, China's a huge market. That's something yeah. that you want to you want to accomplish. You want to uh, dominate over there and because they're a very high uh, uh, entertainment industry consumer. They definitely have uh, the appetite for American cinema and American things like that, but... Uh, it's always been predicated on uh, their rules and their regulations and their censorship and and this, that, and the other thing. But now that we have these uh, movies that feature prominent uh, Chinese characters and actors, it's uh, it seems kind of like they're shooting themselves in the foot, cutting off their nose to spite their own face. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, it's it's difficult to see because it might definitely negatively impact uh the gross uh for both of those movies which are set to be pretty good movies from what i understand yeah especially given uh how much how expensive movies are not to produce and promote um blockbuster style giant hollywood releases tentpole releases like the marvel stuff does kind of to some degree count on overseas revenue in order to break even or make a profit so for marvel to sort of um almost in a way understand and allow that they're going to be sacrificing a certain amount of overseas revenue by portraying Chinese characters in a way that maybe the Chinese government would prefer not to see, then they really are taking a big risk on losing that revenue. Uh, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think maybe that's testament to to Disney and Marvel's commitment to telling good stories, that they're, they're willing to bring these characters to the screen in a way that might not be popular with Chinese censors, but is nonetheless kind of serving of the story, the larger story arc of the MCU. So eating those revenues uh, in order to make a good story, I mean, that's that's kind of admirable if, if they decide to uh, to do things uh, the way they're going to do them and, and, and kind of give up that market. And it's a rumor at this point. We don't know if it's actually going to happen, but uh, uh, we they, they have it on good authority that it's probably a thing. So, yeah. 
let's see. A couple more quick ones here. Knives Out, the uh, which I just saw for the first time. Ryan Johnson's uh, Knives Out, detective story. Fantastic movie. Fantastic. Daniel Craig and Anna Fantastic. And, and uh, just a great cast. Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette. Amazing, amazing Chris movie. Chris Evans. Yeah. Chris Evans, yeah. And that's that's a movie that um, really kind of turned the whodunit on its ear. Because if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you, so stop listening now. You really should see it. But you've been forewarned. So they kind of give up whodunit fairly early on in the movie. But the rest of the film, kind of the way it plays out, is putting together the rest of the story. Which winds up being a much more compelling tale and a much more a much bigger question than actually right. it's it's less a who done it it's a why done it yes and i and i, I personally I, I, loved it i was here for it and and we just watched that recently and uh netflix has offered and thrown a bunch of money at ryan johnson to do two sequels and casting news for the first of the two sequels uh dave batista uh drax the destroyer there uh, janelle monet who's a fantastic actress ed norton and Catherine Hahn from WandaVision. So they're Fantastic. already stacking the deck with, with primo talent for this sequel here. And I'm, I'm excited about that. So. And as a tangential to that uh, story, uh, Dave Bautista, the, uh, the, the, the Draxa Destroyer actor, uh, has uh, kind of come out and said that he really didn't care for the portrayal of Drax in the last couple of Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Because Drax is, in the books, if you've read the books, and I, I've read some of them, he's not exactly a comedic character, but because the overall tone of the Guardians of the Galaxy films was funnier than a lot of the MCU stuff, uh, Dave Bautista was not happy with how Drax was portrayed, so he has said that the next Guardians of the Galaxy film, uh, he plans to, that to be his last outing as Drax. And whether or not that happens is, I suppose, up to Dave Bautista and money. money Disney wants to come up with to throw at him to come back. But it kind of seems like at least James Gunn, who, who for better or for worse, is the steward of that arm of the MCU. As soon as Dave Bautista tweeted that, James Gunn said, you know, oh, because Dave Bautista said, you know, I'm done playing Drax. Might not be the last you see of Drax, but at least I'll be done. And James Gunn came out and said, hey, without you, there is no Drax. So I, I, whether he leaves is up to money and Disney and Dave Bautista, whether mm -hmm. or not they recast him. Uh, it seems unlikely because if James Gunn is running that particular arm of the Empire, he doesn't want to work with anybody else in that role. But it was a little bit of a newsmaking moment for Dave Bautista to say, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up the body paint after this next installment." All right, uh, Tom Cavanaugh, Carlos Valdez, and now possibly Danielle Panabaker are all poised to leave the CW's Flash after hmm. season seven. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Tom Cavanaugh plays Wells, the various. Uh, incarnations of harrison wells uh carlos valdez of course is cisco ramon a uh, vibe and uh danielle panabaker plays both uh, dr caitlin snow and killer frost or frost i guess she's not killer frost anymore but uh the fact of the matter is is with such a mass exodus of the show's not not only the show's massive talent but three of the original stars of this show how much yeah. longer do we think that The Flash is going to go? I mean, I think it's kind of on its last legs. We've already seen shows like Supergirl peter out. We've seen shows like uh, Green Arrow peter out and go their separate ways and, and just be done with it. So I think kind of this might be... I think we might have like one more season of The Flash after seven, maybe eight seasons. and then Because I think they're going to try and, and reformat for season eight. But I just I don't see how it's going to work real well. Now, once, you know, the big star, not that, you know, I mean, obviously Grant Gustin is still going to be around, but 
once your your stars leave, um, like we talked about, you know, you don't want to be the, the TV series that jumps the shark and goes one more season to try and satisfy contracts or like that, that last season of up, uh, '70s show when Ashton right. Kutcher was gone and Topher you wind Grace up with was the Dexter, gone. You wind up with a Game and... of Thrones. You wind up with a uh, with an Office where. You know, you go one or maybe even two more years than you should, and it just sort of, people look back on it as being kind of sad and weak and unfortunate. Right. And with such power players like uh, Kavanaugh and Valdez and Panabaker leaving, it's just kind of like, ugh, why bother anymore? I mean, I love the show. I want to see it succeed, but they but are really kind of the done. heart and soul of that show. So Agreed. Last story I want to cover for the Nerd News Nexus. Nintendo Switch Pro looks like a likely release for 2021. Uh, looks like fall of 2021 potentially, and rumored to cost $400. Now, if you're a console gamer like I am, you're gonna have like this. It's, it's on your must-have list. Uh, Switch Pro. I don't know much about this. Uh, the specifics about what they're touting for it. I know it's got a higher resolution screen. I know it's probably a bigger screen. Uh, I don't know if they're still going to do a portable version, if it's going to be just a, a deck for your TV. I don't know anything about it yet. But uh, I'm always curious about this kind of technology and new versions of shit that I already have. And much to my wife's chagrin, it's on my list. I'll probably be picking it up. Yeah, I don't think I will. I don't think I will because I tend to be a kind of one-and-done console purchaser. I still have an OG Xbox One. I didn't buy an Xbox Series X. Or I, I did buy a Series X, excuse me. But I didn't buy an Xbox One X, which, again, their naming convention is really confusing, and you can see it just <laughs> right there where I stumbled on it. Um, and PS5 is, is, as we said last week, they're going to be probably issuing an iteration next year that sort of circumvents the parts shortages uh, and doesn't really compromise performance. I will not buy a Switch Pro because I, I usually just buy one version of each console. I, I also didn't buy like a um, a PlayStation Slim. I didn't buy a uh, an Xbox 360 updated version. I buy it once when it comes out, and then I just kind of roll with it for for as long as it uh, remains viable. But but I, I think it's that speaks to because I mean Microsoft and PlayStation. Uh, Microsoft and Sony, excuse me, Xbox and PlayStation, are kind of locked into this um, six to seven year cycle where we're going to release the next iteration of the console within a couple of days of each other on a regular schedule. But because Nintendo kind of plays in their own arena, they haven't really felt the need to, uh, to sort of compete with those those other guys. So the, the Wii and the Wii U and the GameCube and the the Switch, they've all kind of released on their own schedules, but it does at least partially seem like Nintendo has taken a cue from Sony and Microsoft in that halfway through the expected shelf life of a console, we're going to come out with a slightly more powerful iteration that isn't a new console, but it's just kind of a bump in spec from the one that currently exists. And that's fine. That's great if you didn't buy a, a Switch the first time uh, or if you're looking for a little bit of a bump in performance. But me, I'm not going to pick it up because I mostly play with my Switch docked anyway. Once in a while, I'll pick it up and, and, and play it as a portable. But for the most part, I just play it on the TV. And I tend to skip middle-life iterations of consoles anyway, so, you know, more power to any of those who want to grab that Switch Pro, but, uh, you know, I think I'll probably just cool my heels and wait and see what, uh, what Nintendo wants to do for, for the next major overhaul. I'll let you know if I made a wrong decision when I get it. Oh, and I forgot, there is one more that I forgot to talk about, and it's so huge that I don't want to make sure I don't miss it, because uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of big. It's big news. 
Walmart and Target, among others, have decided that they are going to stop selling sports cards and Pokemon cards because their customers are fighting each other in the stores for them. They're getting into altercations in the stores. They're causing security concerns. There's theft. There's uh, yada, yada, yada. Having these cards in the store has been deemed too much of a risk, and they're not going to do it anymore. Holy shit. shit. It's laughable. Yeah. I mean, it, it, okay, it, it's it's kind of on one hand kind of nice that they're saying, yeah, we, we can't really be having this in the store because it's problematic, but a lot of Walmarts still sell guns. Yeah. So yeah. really, it just seems to me like that's saying, hey, you know, if you want to fight, take it outside. We don't want any blood on our hands. Um, if you're going to get into a dust-up with somebody else and you want to commit some violence, just don't do it in our store. And by washing their hands of that, they maybe feel like they're they're solving the problem, but they're kind of solving the problem that exists just on their property while encouraging people to go out and be violent in other contexts and other venues, which really, that's kind of like the, the long-standing rumor, which uh, kind of has been confirmed by news in the popular culture, that nobody ever dies at Disney parks. If somebody dies at Disney parks, they ship them off the park and they send them to a hospital where they are declared dead at the hospital. Uh, j- pretending like nothing, <laughs> as long as it doesn't happen in my backyard or on my property, it's not happening. Out of sight, out of mind. It's disingenuous on their part. But, you know, I guess it's it's really... But at the same time, I suppose they're only responsible for what they're responsible for. But it really does seem to me to be kind of stupid to say, hey, don't, you know, t- take, take this outside if you want to fight. We'll, we'll let you kill each other outside, but in here we're not going to let you hit each other for... Hoping for the to find a shiny in your next deck of Pokemon cards. Right. I mean, and it, like you said, it's just kind of washing their hands of it. And like, you know what? A lot of that speaks mostly to the fan base. It's like, look, you guys, get your shit together. Quit yeah. acting like like adolescent fucking feral cats. I don't know. Shit, I can't Pokemon find any. Pokemon Go was supposed to get you out of the house and socializing with each other. But you're going to fist fight over the cards at the Target? Go fuck yourself. You go into Target and fight with Timmy 10-year-old because you want to get that shiny? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do your thing, I guess, but just do it somewhere else. So that, my friends, is the inaugural edition of Fuel Your Fandom Podcast Nerd News Nexus. Let us know what you think. Uh, if there's any stories that we missed and that uh, you feel we should talk about, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. Uh, hit us up on our Gmail, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or at the alternate email of fyftalentbooking at gmail.com where you can send show ideas, guest suggestions, and pie recipes. Pie recipes. Uh, yeah, but we want to thank you guys for listening again. And, and like I said, this is kind of an inaugural thing. It's something we're going to plan on doing maybe once a month. So uh, send us those stories. If you think there's something that you think we should have talked about or if you see something crop up in the interim, uh, send them off to us. And keep in mind, mark your calendars, uh, June 12th, noon Pacific Standard Time. Jim and I will be doing the Feel Your Fandom live broadcast. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm looking your forward to that. Your attendance is requested and your participation will be appreciated. Yes, exactly. So, uh, on behalf of us, I want to say thank you for listening again to the Feel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, and as always, please do remember what I try to remind you of every time. Everything is fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care.
recipes.